Dismiss the kids, ages four years old through fourth grade for Children's Church. Four years old through fourth grade. And uh, we are going to be opening our Bibles to the book of Ephesians this morning. Now, in Sunday mornings, I have been preaching through a series on the book of Acts. And then in the evenings, I've been going through a series on the home, dating, relationships, and uh, the family. And because I'm not going to be here this evening, I wanted to preach the evening message this morning. I think. Sometimes some of us who are here in the mornings we and not here in the evenings, you need to hear this stuff too. So we're going to go ahead and preach on the relationship between a husband and wife from the book of Ephesians chapter number 5. And now I was studying for this message this week and I came across a sermon illustration. I wasn't sure if I, I, I was going to tell it or not, but I decided to go ahead and, and tell it today. But I thought this accurately summed up everything that Paul was trying to teach in this passage, okay? We'll see if you think this, okay? But uh, there, was a there was a story about a woman who went to the police station to report her husband as missing. She described him as 29 years old, 6 foot 3, athletic, and handsome. But the police officer turns to her and, and looks at her and says, wait a minute, lady, I know your husband. He's 50, short, and overweight. And the woman responded, sure he is, but who wants him back? Okay, anyways, so... <laughs> But uh, anyway, just, just something lighthearted to get us started here. But we're going to be talking about the relationship between husbands and wives. And hopefully your relationship with your wife is not such that she would gladly turn you in for uh, a 29-year-old. Okay, so. But um, after having told the wives to submit in the previous text in verses 22 uh, through uh, 24, 
one would think that a man like the Apostle Paul would say, okay, men, I've got the women in line. You guys just do what you need to do. You're in control. You guys rule, right? That would, that would be how the lost men would probably interact with in this situation. But that's not really where Paul starts off talking to the husbands. He doesn't say, okay, you guys have the power. Now use it, right? That's not what he says. Paul knows that there is a tendency with those who have power to become oppressive and dictators. You for that, look at politics, okay? Our, every nation under the face of the earth, when, the, when power grows and grows and grows, what happens? They become dictators. Even in our Republican democracy that we have today, we have dictators because of the increase of power over, over time. And Paul knows that that's the tendency. But the answer to dictatorialness or oppressiveness isn't pacifism. It isn't saying, okay, I'm just not going to do anything. And it isn't abdicating your role and saying, okay, she can, she can lead and now she's going to be in charge. Paul knows that God's plan for the home is that the husband is the head of the home. But how is he to lead in his home? Paul answers that question. He knows that the answer to oppressiveness and dictators is to lead in love. That's the solution, to lead in love. So any sermon on the roles of the husband within the home has to start here. You are not to be a dictator over your wife. You are not to be an, an oppressor, but you are to rule and lead in love within the home. So think back to when you were a kid. How did you know that you were loved as a kid? Maybe you didn't feel loved, but how did you know that you were loved as a kid? Maybe your parents told you that they loved you a lot, okay? That's one of the ways that we would know that we, that we love each other. We, or we spend time together as a family. We gave each other presents and never forgot each other's birthdays. Showing affection by hugging and, and kissing, or parents cheering us on at sporting events. If you grow up in that type of a home as a child, you, you come away thinking, my parents loved me. They appreciated me, right? But our world is not full of marriages like that, is it? Is that how most marriages in our, in our country are today? A lot of times, this is what characterizes marriage today. You have husbands yelling at wives, constantly criticizing each other, never saying they love each other not spending time with each other because basically they're two strangers living in the same house. The only thing they get together for is, is uh, to eat and sleep, okay? Uh, meals, oftentimes, they're not around the table together as a family. This is epidemic across our culture. Everyone eats their own meal while they're all sitting on their own devices watching their own shows, right? That's, that's how most families are today. And as soon as dad come ho comes home, what does he do? He sits down on the couch, pulls out the remote, and watches TV and checks out, right? most families operate today. And in that kind of a culture, how, do you, how does your wife know that you truly love her when we're acting just like that? Last week, I preached on uh, 1 Corinthians 13, which tells us what love is and how it acts. Today, we're going we're gonna to look at love and how that, how that looks or what that translates to within the marriage relationship. But we gave this definition for love, for biblical love that we are to have towards our spouses. We said love is sacrificially giving of ourselves to meet the needs of the cherished object, expecting nothing in return. And this is the example that we have been given by Jesus Christ. As, as we go through this text, we will see that. Now, I've structured the message. If you want to know how I figured out, okay, what are, what are Jason's points? I structured them all around this, this tiny little word, as, okay? There's the, the word as is repeated multiple times in the text. So he's telling us how. In what way are you to love your wife? Let's start in verse number 25 here with the first point. 
says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Probably one of the greatest examples of love in all of the Bible is Jesus Christ, right? Mankind was in sin. They were enemies of God. They were standing in need of judgment. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. It also teaches that as it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. All mankind faced God's judgment because of their sin, and they were deserving their punishment. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And Jesus said in John 15, verse 13, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. He was speaking of himself, because in just a few weeks, maybe days even, Jesus would go and he would die on the cross for the sins of the world. He would be buried and he would be resurrected, conquering death and conquering the grave, thus to be able to give us forgiveness of sins and restore us to a right relationship with God. So there is no greater example of love that we could ever look to than Jesus Christ. The world might look to uh, Mother Teresa or Gandhi or people like this who do great things for, for the poor and for the destitute, but Jesus Christ is the greatest example of love. But what did his love look like? In this text, first of all, we see that Christ loved the church in a sacrificial way. He sacrificed. Sacrifice is a key word of that definition that we just gave of love. The husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. And that love motivated Christ to give himself for her. Literally, the phrase is to give up for her. What have you given up for your wife? Husbands, as, as you think about your relationship with your wife, a lot of times we are very selfish. Our lives revolve around us and what we want and what we desire. But what have you given up for your wife? We like our time. We like our things. We want our way. But can you see how that would be, how, how this kind of a love would be counterintuitive to oppressive leadership? Uh, an oppressive leader doesn't demand, I mean, doesn't, want what's best for the other person. An oppressive leader wants what he wants all the time. And so this type of a love transforms that and keeps, the, keeps this type of headship within the home from being a position of oppression and dictatorship. This kind of love isn't concerned with what I want. It is concerned with what does she want, just like Christ was concerned with what the church needed, what the, what the world needed. He gave himself, he sacrificed himself for our sakes. I know so many men who refuse to let their wives know where they are going and when they're planning on coming back. And usually what this comes back to is because they want their independence. They don't feel they owe anybody an explanation. But have you ever considered that God might be wanting you to give up your independence for her security of mind? Wives need security, right? We talked about that last week. It's one of the needs that wives have is security. And sometimes, men, you just got to give up and you got to communicate. You've got to talk. You've got to do what she wants and what she needs. Lay aside your pride. It stinks. It, let it, put it away. God doesn't like that. That's not what God loves. If you love your wife, you're going to give up some things. You're going to lay that aside to meet her needs, to show her the love that you truly say that you have. Many men come home and they just want to relax and do nothing. 
But think about this, especially if you have a wife like mine, okay? My wife is a stay-at-home mom, but she homeschools our kids. She cooks the meals. She cleans the house. She does all these things. How, when does she get a break? Anybody? You can respond. When does my wife get a break? When we put the kids to bed, okay? That's, that's when she gets a break, right? Yes, ideally when I come home, okay? But she's been slaving away all day long. Can't I just lay aside what I want for a moment to give her a break? Isn't that love? Can't I sacrifice some relaxation on behalf of my wife? She needs to be shown that kind of a love. Ha step in. Give her some time. Send her to a coffee shop. This is what I do with Katie because she loves her coffee, okay? So I say, go to Summer Moon. Just stay there for a while and relax, you know? And uh, then I take care of the kids. I do all these things. Try managing the kids when you get home. I know, especially if they're like my kids, they're flocking me anyways. So just take care of the kids, okay? Um, and if she can't handle it, maybe step in and, actually, I wanted to word it this way. If you can handle it, step in and cook a dinner for her, okay? Make the meal. Some of you don't cook the meal. It will, it will be horrible, and you'll have to go out to eat, okay? But to step in there and make a meal for her, you know, relieve some of the stress off of her lives. What about decision-making? Okay, you're the head of the home, so does that mean you insist on your way? It's always got to be my way, do my things, exactly what I want to do. Is that, is that what that means, to be the head of the house? No, that's not what it means. <clears throat> it isn't a Christ-like way of showing that you are the head of the house. It's not how Christ led. Sometimes you need to defer to what does your wife want in some things. That's sacrificing. Sacrificing your way, sacrificing your wants, your desires for your, your wife. Love is, a, is, is based on this type of a sacrifice. If you truly love your wife, you are going to be sacrificing for her. So Christ sets that example. He, is, he loves the, us sacrificially. How did Christ sacrifice? This is obvious. He died on the cross for our sins, right? He gave his life. And Hebrews talks about how he left the glories of heaven to come down to this earth. He lived on this earth. And, and did, he, did he have riches galore while he was on earth? No, he was, he was poor. He was a carpenter's son, not, not rich. He had no home when he started his ministry. He had no, no place that he could guarantee he could go and sleep. He had no riches. He had no wealth. He didn't have fine clothes and fine foods all the time. Jesus Christ gave up all, all that that he had in heaven and the joy that he had in his relationship with the Father to come down to earth and pay the penalty that we deserve because of our sin. The second thing that we see about Christ's love for the church here is that he so seeks to grow her spiritually. In verse number 26, it says that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Now, I'm not going to preach in detail on these verses because I have a whole other message planned on just this topic alone. But men, are you're, you're not only to be the leader in your home, but you are to be the provider in your home. And you are to provide for your home in a spiritual way, not just financially. Your obligation is not just to go to work and make money and put food on the table. You have a responsibility to minister, to edify, to grow your family spiritually. It is the state of most of Christians in, in, in America today that their wives are more godly than, their, than the husbands are. This is how most things are in most cases. But that's not what God wants. 
God wants the husband to be the spiritual leader within the home. He sets the pace spiritually. He sets the example within the home. And most of us are poor excuses for spiritual leaders within our homes. So why is it that your wife has to be the one to take the kids to church while you decide to stay home? Some of the people who do that are not here today, okay? So that happens. The wife is there all the time. The husband's at home watching what? A football game or playing Xbox or sleeping or doing whatever he wants to do, right? Why is it that the wife has to be the one to be that leader? Why isn't the husband the one taking them to church? And I think this responsibility includes being in church when, when the doors are open, not out of obligation, but as Hebrews teaches, because it is necessary to our lives, okay? Husbands, we need to be setting that example. It includes praying with your wife, challenging her from scripture about the truths that God shows you in his word. And especially if she's not thinking right about a situation, helping her to think God's thoughts about that situation. Are we as men really going to abdicate our responsibility to our wives in this area? Let me remind you, this, this is why you are the head of the home, okay? Being the head of the home doesn't mean power. Being the head of the home means responsibility. Being the head of the home means accountability. Think back to Genesis 3. We preached on this. When mankind fell into sin, who was the first one to sin, to disobey God's commands? It was Eve. Let me ask you this, though. Who was the first one that God called to account because of their sin? It was Adam. Adam will give an account for the sins of Eve. God calls him to account. He didn't even call Adam and Eve together. He called Adam. And Adam had to give an account for what he had done. As a husband, you will give an account for your home. You are responsible for the state of your home spiritually. And God is going to hold you to that. And you will give an account to him someday. We know 2 Corinthians teaches that we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Okay? We will have to give an account for how we lived our lives, how we led our homes. <clears throat> so as a husband, you are to love her sacrificially. You are to love her by seeking to help her grow spiritually. You are also to love by seeking her best. Okay, let's go back to verse 25 here. So notice it says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself, what are the next two words? For it. Okay, literally, actually, that pronoun in Greek is a feminine pronoun. Literally says for her. Okay, that's what it says there. He gave himself for her. That's seeking what's best for her for her benefit. He didn't just needlessly sacrifice himself on the cross. He gave himself for the benefit of the church. Christ's motivation behind giving himself for us was a love and a desire for our bests, for our best. He wanted to restore mankind's relationship with God. Do you want what's best for your wife? Do you even know what's best for your wife, okay? Do you insist that she only stop shop at thrift stores? Okay, now I know like Mama and Katie, you guys love shopping at thrift stores? That's fine, okay? But are you the type of husband who says, no, we've got to have all this money, and so you have to go shop at the thrift stores while he buys himself three-piece suits and Ralph Lauren and all this? I don't know. Do people wear Ralph Lauren anymore? Okay. So, okay. Buy himself all these fancy clothes, but she's living in rags. There are families like that. There are relationships like that. This type of a relationship wants what is best for the spouse. Don't be stingy. And, and hold things back from her just because you want nice things for yourself. 
Your love in all areas should be to seek what is best for your wife. Now, I've put a fourth example of Christ's love for the church in here. It's not stated in the text, but really, honestly, it's assumed in the life of Christ. Let's turn to John 13. John chapter number 13. Remember, Christ loved the church, so what did he do because of his love? John chapter 13. He sacrificed. He desires to spiritually grow her. He seeks what's best for her. But in John 13, we see that Christ served her. Think of the second song we sang today. Give me, Lord, a servant's heart. That was the heart of Christ. Now, I want to start in verse number one before we jump ahead in the chapter a little bit. Verse number one says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world, went to his father, or onto his father, having loved his own, which were in this world, he loved them unto the end. So what is the key theme of this chapter? Starting right off the bat, what does it declare about the heart of Jesus? It says he loved his own. And he loved them even to the end. Okay, and we'll see this word multiple times within in the in these chapters here. But then in, in verse number 14, Jesus has, they've had their last supper. Jesus has put aside his clothes and he has taken a bowl of water and he has begun to wash his disciples' feet. And verse number 14 says, If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done. Now here's the point I'm trying to make. Jesus' love motivated him to serve. This role of washing feet was, was a role that was assigned only to servants, household servants. The master did not do this. Jesus says, I'm your Lord and master, and I have done this, so I've set an example for you that you should follow in my steps. Jesus' love motivated him to serve. Now, coming back to Ephesians chapter number 5, when it says that we should love as Christ loved the church, we see that Christ loved the church by serving. This is a servant type of leadership. Do you ever go out of your way to do things for your wife? Or is she your royal assistant, okay, while you sit on your throne? Headship is not a position of authority as much as it is a position of service. We need servant leaders within our home. Men, you need to be servant leaders. We are not dictators. We are servants to our wives. That ties into seeking their best. So first of all, you are to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Secondly, the next as is found in verse number 28. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. So the second way that we are to love our wives is as our own bodies. The word as here is different from the other as. This as means, um, ba basically means as if it actually were. Okay, and think about this logically, um, and we'll talk about this in a second. When a husband and wife are joined together, God declares them to be one flesh. So what Paul is saying is don't, don't love her like you like your body or love your body, but love her as if she actually is your body. And this will tie into the concept a little bit later on, okay? This is a very important point to understand as we go through. Um, but as, as we will see, there are a number of points here that show us how we love our own bodies. Loving our own bodies. Men are, honestly, they're pretty good at this, right? 
we, uh, some men are like me and you like food and so you enjoy the taste of food and you're a little bit bigger than us. Okay, is that loving your body? Okay, yeah, kind of. So because you're, you're eating this food, you like what your body says about the food. There are other men, I'm not one of these, who go to the gym and work out eight hours a day. Okay, I don't know when they have eight hours a day to do this, but they're bulging with muscles. Do those men love their bodies? Yeah, they do. Okay, so we, we all, every single one of us, whether we're fat, skinny, or otherwise, love our bodies. We take care of them. We, we want to make sure we are comfortable. All of our needs are, are met. And so we naturally do love our own bodies. We make sure that we're fed when we're hungry. We make sure that we sleep when we are tired. When we're worn out, we take a rest. Meanwhile... Our wives are running themselves ragged, doing all the things that they have to do, and never getting a break. We should be treating her the way that we treat our own bodies. Honestly, we stop, and we're very eager to make sure that we fix that problem, right? <laughs> okay. But when our wives are suffering, they are hurting, or they are worn ragged, we don't pay the same attention that we do to our own selves. And Paul is telling us here that we should love them with the same attention that we give to our own bodies. Now, we're going to skip the next phrase for just a second here. But verse 29 expands on this. He says, for no man ever yet hated his own flesh. But what does he do? He nourisheth it and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. Nourish, verse, uh, verse 29, is the idea of food or sustenance, providing food for something, providing the basic needs. Men, did you know that your wife has needs? Did you know that those needs are different than your needs? They're not the same. We, a lot of times we think as long as I'm doing what I would want done to me, that'll solve everything and she'll feel loved. But that's not how our wives operate. In college, I read a book called His Needs, Her Needs. It's pretty, pretty eye-opening. But your wife has needs that most of us are not meeting because we're not even aware that she has these needs. I wrote down six of them here. First need that women have, this is based on studies that have been done and polls and all kinds of stuff. You, if you want to argue, you can go argue with people who wrote it, not me, but it's well known, okay? But your wives need affirmation and appreciation. I think men need this too, right? Okay, but, but our wives need affirmation and appreciation. When you fix something at the house, men, okay, do you call your wife and kids in there and say, look at that, I just did that. I think, I think guys who fix cars for a living, okay? I've got those in my family. But what, generally, what do they do when they're fixing cars? They get everybody around, and they all pull their heads in, and they look at this engine while one person does the work fixing the car, right? Is that, that ever the case? Why do they do that? Because you're getting recognition. Okay, I'm, I'm, look at me. I'm working at this car, okay? But when we fix something at the house, we want our wives to notice, right? Okay, your wives need that same recognition, that same affirmation. She, has, she needs to know that you appreciate her, that you see what she does, that you believe the world about her. She has a need for affirmation and appreciation. She also has a need for affection and romance. When I think of the word romance, what do men think? A three-letter word that starts with the letter S, okay? That's what men think of when they think of romance. That is not what women think of. Yes, it gets there, okay? But that's not what women think about when they think of romance. She interprets it, this as sharing emotions, okay? Or connection between the two of you. Men, we're not good at this. We're not good at sharing our emotions with our wives. We bottle it in. We hide it inside. But she has a need for that kind of a connection between you. 
there's an openness that she needs from that relationship. She knows, she needs to know your heart. That's really what she needs. And I'm not saying she needs you to spill your guts all the time, okay? But she needs to know that you are, that she's the one that you go to when you're struggling, when you need to talk about something, and you're open and you're honest with her. You're not closed off. You don't build walls to keep her on the outside. She needs to know at the very least she is connected to you. So show her affection. Take her on dates. Write love notes. If you're like me, learn to write poetry, okay? Katie's got some from when we first got married that she keeps stored up, okay? But learn to write poetry. Do the things that make her feel romantically desired and loved. And you know what? Again, they're not the same things that make romantically desired and loved. She has different things that she interprets as love. So learn what those things are and show her love. So she has a need for affirmation and appreciation, affection and romance. She has a need for conversation. Goes along with the last, last one. Men, we know that women talk a lot, right? Statistically, this is even actually proven, that women say thousands of words more than men in a day, okay? Why do they do that? Is it just because they like to hear themselves? No, it's because communication is an important part of connection in their lives. They have a need to talk. And I, I'm guilty of this. My wife, like I said, she's with the kids all day long. So when does she have to talk? As soon as I get in the bed. What do I want to do when I get in the bed? Read a book, okay? That's what I want to do when I get in the, in, in the bed. And the temptation is to tune her out or pretend like I'm listening. But that's not loving her. I'm not allowing her to have conversation, to communicate. Need to have meaningful conversations. Put the phone down. Put the Xbox controller away. Shut out the distractions. She needs to know that she matters more than those things do to you. Put them away. She also needs openness and honesty. Don't hide things from her. Tell her how you feel. Avoid, avoid words like fine or whatever, because what are those words actually doing? They're a wall. They're a way of getting out of telling her actually how you feel. If she says, how are you today? And you say, fine. That usually is a cloak for not really good, but I don't really care to talk right now, right? Okay, she needs openness and she needs honesty. She also needs stability and security. Your wife needs to feel secure. So honestly, for millennials, go get a job, okay? I'm just gonna say it. Go get a job. Your wife needs that security. Um, you need to be able to pay the bills, okay? And if you can't pay the bills, go get a better job. I don't care if you don't like McDonald's. If it pays better than what you got, go get the job, okay? You've got to provide and security for your wife. Pay the bills on time. Make sure things are repaired around the house. Don't go into astronomical debt so she's constantly worried, how are we going to pay these bills? But most of all, make her secure in your relationship with her. Don't make her feel like if she just messes up one more time, it's all over. That's it. Okay? She needs that security within her, within her relationship. She also needs a man who puts their family first. Parenting is a partnership, right? It's two people together, working together to raise their kids. You need to be working together to do this. To and you need to raise your kids to love God and to serve him with their lives in whatever way he wants them to. Don't put work ahead of your family. For preachers like me, the challenge is still the same. Don't put ministry ahead of your family. Ministry is not your God. Ministry is not your primary responsibility. If you're a Sunday school teacher, if you're a youth leader, if you're a pastor, if you're a deacon, those things do not come before your family. 
they come after. Don't put your games and your entertainment before your family either. So he says that he, cherish, he nourishes her. He meets her needs. He provides the sustenance that she needs. But then also it says here that he cherishes her. This word comes from the idea of warming. Now when you think of men, you don't think of cherishing. You don't think of nurturing. You don't think of these things. You think of wives when you hear those words, right? But God is telling the husband to do this, to cherish. And the picture is like a mother hen who warms her chicks under her wings. We don't think of men as being comforting, but your wife needs your comfort. She needs you to step in and to be there to encourage her and to help her when times are hard, to warm her with that, with that encouragement. This is part of nourishing and cherishing your own body. You nourish and cherish your wife. Okay, then it says here, in going back to verse number 28, he that loveth his wife loveth Okay, this is one of, part of the reason why you should love her as, as your own body. This phrase amazed me, honestly, when I started studying. Because how many of you have heard that the wife sets the tone for the home? The wife sets the tone for the home. Anybody hear that? Okay. There's truth to that. But you've also heard the follow-up. A happy wife equals a happy life, right? Okay. But if you trace it further back, yes, the wife sets the tone for the home. But who sets the tone for the wife? The husband does. How he loves his wife sets the tone for, for the rest of their home. So in a way, if she feels loved and taken care of, the home life is going to be what it should be. Things are going to be operating the way that they ought to. So in taking care of his wife, he is, in essence, making his own life easier and more pleasant for himself because it, it circles back around. Okay? That's, that's what he's getting at in this, in this phrase right here. So we are to love our, lives as, our wives as Christ loved the church. We are to love them as our own bodies. In verse number 31, he goes on and expands on this a little bit more in a slightly different direction. He says, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. This is part of loving her as your own body, but you're loving her as if she were your own body, right? You are one flesh. Paul is quoting Genesis 2, verse 24 here when he, t when he talks about this because this is how God established marriage to operate. Marriage occurs when a man and a woman leave their parents. And I've preached a whole message on, on leaving um, home behind. They leave their parents and they, are, they cleave together. We call this, uh, or the word for cleaving is the idea of being glued and they become one flesh. I gave a three-point outline. They leave, they cleave, and they weave, okay? That was, that was my easy outline for this, okay? But when a husband and wife are married, they are to leave home, cleave together, and the result is they become one flesh. This process takes time. Newlyweds are not quite as one flesh as someone who's been married for 50 years, okay? <clears throat> this idea of leaving, when you get married, there has to be a break in relationship with your parents. That doesn't mean you stop loving them, doesn't mean you stop communicating with them. It doesn't mean you stop respecting them. But they are no longer your fundamental family unit. You need to leave them physically, emotionally, financially, and mentally. Any, any other compromise in this is a failure to, to leave your husband and wife, or to leave your parents behind. And it'll keep you from being able to do the second thing. You are to cleave to your spouse. The idea of cleaving is to be glued Okay, to be glued together. So you leave fa father and mother and you are glued to a new person, your spouse. 
You cannot be properly joined to your husband or wife as long as you are holding on to one of those other ties. The word cleave here means, to, like I said, to be glued. So how close are you to your wife? Glued is like as close as you can get, right? And what happens if you try to break that glue? If you've got two pieces of paper and you glue them together, you try to break it, the paper's going to rip. There's damage. There's destruction. Okay? So you need to leave parents behind and you need to cleave to your spouse. But then there's this idea of weaving. This is the one flesh relationship, which is a physical relationship. I'm just going to say this, men. I'm not going to dwell on it. But men, your wife has sexual needs. And you need to be meeting those. There are entire chapters of the Bible that deal with this topic. There's actually an entire book of the Bible that deals with this, entire, with this topic. It is not something that God is silent about. The bedroom is not all about pleasing you and your own desires. It is about loving and pleasing your wife as well. So if you are going to love your wife in this one flesh sort of way, you need to meet those needs as well. The third point we'll see in verse number 33. Nevertheless, let every one of you in him particular so love his wife even as himself. And okay, now I think this really summarizes everything we've already said. But if you love your wife as yourself, there is a priority to that relationship. Because you prioritize yourself. Above all other things, you prioritize yourself. But you need to have a priority in your relationship with you, your wife. You should love her more than you love anything else except for God himself. So when you have a decision between her and the kids and which one you're going to love and make happy, who do you choose? Anybody? You can say it. The wife. Okay, let's just go ahead and say all these. I'm going to ask you a series of questions. Who do you choose between your wife and your kids? Your wife. Okay. When you have a decision between her and work, who do you choose? Your wife if you can at all possible, okay? When you have a decision between her and the guys, who do you choose? Your wife. You've already made this decision, really. And I think that, that's, that's what we need to realize. When you said those vows to her at the altar, you made that decision. You made the decision to put her before kids, before work, before the guys, before entertainment and games and whatever else. You made that decision. Now, all I'm asking you to do today is live out that choice. You need to turn to your wife and say, I choose you. In those moments where you have a choice, you choose her. You love her as yourself. There is a priority to that relationship. And I think men, many of us did not have fathers that modeled this type of relationship. We're floundering when it comes to loving our wives. That's fine. But Jesus is our example right? Jesus is the example. You may not have had a father who did this, but you have Jesus who sets that example, and there is no greater example that we could ever have for loving our, our wives. Jesus knows how to lead, and he knows how to love our wives. I, will be spend, I spent one message on the responsibilities of wives within the home. This is the first of probably three or four messages on the responsibility of the husband within the home. Because we have a greater weight of responsibility in how we lead and how we operate within the home. You are accountable to God. So the bulk of the work lies on your shoulders. So today, I'm merely asking you this. You need to love your wife the way that God wants you to love your wife. Let's go ahead and stand. We'll have a time of invitation. <clears throat>